1: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured, not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H track, all wheel drive, and three row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe.
2: Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
4: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
5: And I'm Julie Douglas. And
4: we're picking up with where we left off in the last episode. This is Surgical Wings Part 2. Highly recommend that you go back and listen to Surgical Wings Part 1. Before you continue with this one, sometimes we'll, we'll have a part two, one and a part two where you can really take them in any order, but this is definitely a case where you want to go part one and then part two, so you'll know exactly why we're talking about taking a human arm, uh, doing a whole bunch of plastic surgery on it, and turning it into a bird's wing.
5: Indeed. Okay, so we've discussed in the past about uh, how we have augmented ourselves before. I, I believe there's someone who had an ear Grafted onto his yes. skin, mm-hmm. um, or rather the, the tissue was grown for it.
4: Yeah. That was in our performance art, uh, episode.
5: Yeah. And, um, you know, we've had, we've talked about people who've taken out ribs before to have like, you know, 12 inch waist. Um, mm-hmm. we have certainly manipulated and, uh, bod- bodily modified ourselves to the extent where it's a little bit shocking, but you get to surgical wings or the idea of it. And is it that shocking?
4: Yeah. Uh, it's, it, that is the question we're going to talk about in the second half. Uh, first of all, I do want to say just a quick thing about plastic surgery mm-hmm. again. I know when I was growing up and I would hear the term plastic surgery, um, almost exclusively in reference to people who had new noses and or new chest augmentations, um, I kind of had it in my mind that it was plastic. Like, it was actual, literally <laughs> plastic. Like, oh, they have a plastic nose. So it's like Humpty Hump or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, where it's just, you know, set the, right up there on their face. Or that, obviously, breast implants, I was kind of like, well, that's kind of like plastic, I guess. You see them, I would see them in like Newsweek magazine that my grandparents had. And so I'm like, oh, well, that's plastic surgery. It's putting plastic in or on the body and making things new.
5: You thought there were water balloons in there?
4: Yeah, I thought there were water balloons. <laughs> but, um, but just for a quick primer, Plastic in plastic surgery means plasticity. So, essentially, what we're talking about is flesh sculpting, and the idea goes back a long time. Uh, for instance, um, skin grafts uh, may have taken place as early as 800 BC, which is crazy to think <laughs> about. That just the, the idea that we were we were already figuring out ways to sculpt the flesh of the human body, uh, even in 800 BC. See, the, we just,
5: we have, I mean, humans just can't help but tinker with themselves, yeah. right?
4: Yeah. And, and certainly if there's a, if there's a medical advantage, you know, if you're trying to help somebody, you know, improve their quality of life, uh, I mean that, you know, and, or appeal to their vanity, that's all that, that's what you need to get uh, to learn more about it and to get the research done to achieve the the already lofty heights of plastic surgery we have today yeah
5: and of course I was about to say uh, you know the the technology is commensurate with the procedures mm-hmm. so what you have in place is is what is going to determine what happens uh, with your body or how you decide to manipulate it
4: so as we were discussing earlier Rosen proposed that yeah he thinks you could you could give people wings now what would this consist of how would this possibly work because when we're talking about plastic surgery we're talking about sculpting the body so it's most interpretations we're not talking about making some wings and cooking them up in a lab and then just stitching them on the body Mm -hmm. we have to essentially look to nature and see how nature flies right
5: well we have to look at nature but we also have to look at the mind because this is an important part of the process right um We've talked about how the mind also has its own type of plasticity Mm -hmm. and can certainly conform um, to whatever's going on with the body. And you've used the the wonderful analogy of the horse and rider before that it's not, you know, the two things aren't necessarily separate when you're talking about the mind and body.
4: Yeah, it's not the the mind is the rider and the body is the horse, but it's both are one. They were essentially a centaur uh, instead.
5: Yeah. So, you know, this brain uh, plasticity gives us the ability to make physical changes that are then incorporated by the brain. This is from the Dr. DeDalius article. Rosen explains that when, quote, when we lose a limb, the brain absorbs its map or rewires it to some other center. Similarly, when we gain a limb, the brain almost immediately senses it and goes about hooking it up via neural representation. He said, if I were to attach a sonographically powered arm to your body, your brain would map it. If I were to attach a third thumb, your brain would map this as well. Our bodies change our brains, and our brains are infinitely moldable. If I were to give you wings, you would develop literally a winged brain. If I were to give you an echolocation device, you would develop, in part, a bat brain. Hmm. I mean, there's some
4: truth yeah. to this, right? Yeah, totally. And it's important to, to, to think in terms of, of brain mapping and, and uh, neural adaptation to these features, because you can talk all day about... Sewing bits onto your body, but if you, if you can't, if they are not actually a part of you, if they're not part of that centaur, uh, that is the mind-body connection, then it's really not a part of you or your body.
5: So in a sense, whatever you dream up, your brain can hang with. Yeah. But um, it comes down to a matter of where really the rubber meets the road and, and the actual surgical bits that are put onto it. And in order to really look at that, you have to look at um, a professor in plastic and reconstructive surgeon, Samuel Poor, who took on the idea of surgical wings.
4: Yeah, from the Division of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery at the University of Wisconsin. And he actually published an article about... This idea about the the actual de- possible details of transforming uh, normal humans into winged humans, and he did this uh, after Rosen had made lots of waves with his discussion. So it's it it was a, a response to Rosen's mm-hmm. work, uh, where he says, "Okay, well, let's assuming that, that this is something we want to do, and and, uh, and and actually, there's someone out there who wants it. Uh, what would this consist of? How would we go about it? As yeah. a thought experiment, uh, and as a plastic surgeon." Uh, What can I do? What could I do to the human body to give that body wings?
5: And I love this because he really did respond to it, not just in the philosophical sense, but like really, what are the nuts and bolts to make this happen? If you're going to take this thought experiment one step further, because Rosen's ideas are amazing, and it's great to sort of get caught up in them, but uh,
4: a lot of times he's kind of spitballing though, or at least, I mean, maybe not in his own mind, yeah, but in terms of just. How he's commenting to other people. He he's not necessarily laying out a you know a, a five step plan to make it happen, uh, but not out, outside of his own mind, anyway.
5: Right. Well, he knows all that, you know, he's he's pretty well-informed about all the different fields that yeah, it would yeah. take to make this happen. But you're right, he's not going to sit there and say, here's step one.
4: Yeah, though I though I pretty much have no doubt that he has it in his mind. Absolutely. That he he's he's sat down to say, different.
5: like, how would you actually yeah. do this? But that's why I think it's so interesting that Samuel Poore took this on, because it does give you a sense of what the limitations are and um, what the possibilities are as well.
4: Yeah, so... In in this article, uh, he asked, "Okay, well, all right, if we're going to have wings, what what are the aspects of a bird wing that we would want?" And in this article, he does deal exclusively with bird wings. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why I didn't think that much about bat wings. We'll talk about that a little, a yeah. little more, but, but he's talking about bird wings. So evidently, he, as far as art goes, he is into the idea of of, of an angelic figure with the big, lofty, feathery wings, which is beautiful. I'm I'm totally into that. This is like well. Archangel
5: from uh, from uh, X Men.
4: Yeah, like like uh, like that character from from X Men, or or any you know painting you've seen of an angel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but then of course the other side is we have plenty of images of fallen angels, uh, and and their kin, creatures with bat-like wings, which some might find hideous, uh, some might find kind of uh, uh, appealing. If uh, the pictures I had on my wall in high school had anything uh, you know to do with that, but uh, but, but certainly uh, he decides to focus just on wings with feathers.
5: Sure and why not because I mean this is really the the example from nature that we draw from the most
4: yeah so what does a bird wing have first of all it has those feathers for lift and insulation it has a highly derived shoulder and a distinct thorax okay mm-hmm. so what else do we have to take into into account here then we have to we have to look at the human body what do we have well we have these arms right mm-hmm and and you look at a bird. What is it? Does a bird have arms? No, a bird has wings. So, obviously, we're getting to, getting to the point here where we have to realize if you're going to use plastic surgery to make what we have into something similar to what birds have, it's not going to be a matter of strapping wings on on the back and turning us into six-limbed creatures. Mm-hmm. We're going to remain four-limbed creatures, but we're going to have to transform our arms into wings, which is something you don't see as often in our fantastic visions of winged humans. Right. We tend to imagine that we still get to keep our arms and that we just have wings (laughs) springing out of our backs. But uh, the the plastic surgeons of the world are here to say, actually, guys, if you really want those wings, you're going to have to part with the arms.
5: Yeah, and they're not going to be big, fluffy, white feathers. It's probably going to be more like a turkey vulture. Yes. Well, well, I say that, but uh, Professor uh, Samuel Poor does say that in order for us to really get the right structure, we can't necessarily look at modern birds as the example. Um, we would be better off to look at something called the Archaeopteryx. And this is a bird that existed 150 million years ago.
4: Yeah, because the Archaeopteryx has a very primitive wing structure. It's mm-hmm. a very early model, okay? Versus birds, modern birds which have a very high a very highly evolved, very advanced model of the of the wing. So if you're going to using the plastic surgery techniques that we have today, if you were going to transform our arms into wings, mm-hmm. you really want to fit with go after something a lot simpler because that's going to be something that we can actually achieve potentially, arguably. <laughs> Uh, as opposed to a really ad- advanced structure. It's kind of like if you're adding on to your house, right? Mm-hmm. You, you have to take into account the existing architecture, the existing structure. What is going to work structurally as a part of the new house? What is going to work stylistically as part of the new house? And, uh, if, you know, it's just not always in the cards to take, say, a, a medieval castle and then build a highly modern structure on top of it. I mean, it's just you have to take into account the original form. So our arms, our great arms... But they're really crappy wings, like the crappiest wing possible because they they don't do anything, you know? So to to actually change them into wings, Mm we're essentially having to backtrack on evolution and go think back to how wings really begin to evolve and and take form in organisms.
5: Which makes sense, right? Because you do, as you say, have to go back to the more primitive version if you're trying to make this... You know, from soup to nuts, on yeah. a human being. It's a little bit ironic, though, that you'd have to go back 150 million years in order to uh, get some sort of futuristic um, structure for human wings. Yeah,
4: because the the Archaeopteryx, uh, it had, it was, it was feathered, it was flying, but it had a far less complex wrist and shoulder, mm-hmm. which is key because this is what really places it within surgical reach for us. Okay, so in this article, Poor lays out. Some possible steps to transform the arm into a wing.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: He talks about forming a distal row of carpal bones and metacarpals uh, in our existing arm into a carpometacarpus, which is essentially a buffalo wing. Delicious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and a single fused bone between the wrist and knuckle. So if you look, if you look at, a, at a picture of a human arm mm-hmm. and, you, and you see a picture of... The, um, of the, the wing of a, of a bird, or, or in this case, a, a flying dinosaur, then you see that, all right, we have uh, uh, the humerus, uh, the upper bone in the arm, mm-hmm. both have that. Uh, but then when you're looking at, uh, at the lower uh, portion of the arm, the lower bones, that's where you're talking about needing to fuse things together. Because uh, do you ever see a bird using like a, a, a smartphone or typing on a keyboard? No, they don't need the digits.
5: Right, and the wrist and knuckles all being one piece makes sense, too, right? right. Because they're not sort of waving their hands back and forth. Um, you'd also have to fuse the small finger, the ring finger, and the index finger, although your thumb would remain free. Yes. So that's good news. Yeah,
4: so some video games are still possible. <laughs> the hand and elbow uh, would have to be fixed uh, to prevent uh, too broad a range of movement, but, uh, but there's not, not any need for bone fi- bony fixation in the elbow. You need movement. Um, so, uh, you make use of existing muscle and skin there. You redirect the bicep and tendon of, uh, in, of insertion. Uh, you use a tissue expansion techniques to cover all of this because you, you need skin over. Skin, yeah,
5: right. And then for non-functional cosmetic wings, this is, this is a really good stopping point, right? Yes. Because this is what you need in order just to sport them around town, right?
4: Yeah, and we're not even talking about the possibility of, of sticking feathers in these things. Uh, that would be a whole separate thing to worry about because what are you going to try and grow feathers? Are you going to try to manipulate the body to produce feathers? Um, that's a whole um, kettle of fish in and of itself. But just to transform your fleshy arms into fleshy bat wings mm-hmm. that you could parade around town in, yeah, this is where you would you would stop.
5: And we know we can grow tissue, right? So in order to actually grow the skin, that's not a problem, right? right. Um, you know, of course, we're talking about pretty advanced technologies here, so. I don't really see you know, 2020 just going into your local clinic and, and getting your, your uh, wings all done up. But again, in this idea of 20 to 50 years out, let's say you can get these wings um, constructed for you and you really want to take
4: flight. Well, you're going to need to flap them. You're going to need to flap those wings uh, in order to even try to fly. Mm-hmm. And if you want to do that, you're going to need high velocity rotation in the shoulder. So you're going to need some pretty extensive shoulder reconstruction to make that possible.
5: Mm-hmm. And of course you are going to need feathers. Yeah. Now this is particularly problematic because feathers are so specific to the species, the subspecies. It's um, something that has evolved for, you know, billions of years and it's not an easy thing to just say, oh, here, let's stick some turkey feathers in and you'll be fine. Yeah,
4: feathers are, are a very complex and really amazing, um, adaptation of uh, flying organisms. Now, some critics of Poor's article, and I don't want to say critics, let's just say people having a lively discussion with him about this. They point out, well, bats don't have feathers, so why should we feel limited to, on, on this whole feather argument? Why would that be a sticking point?
5: Yeah, um, we can talk more about bats, but for sure, this would, this is a good model to go after. I think it's not just birds, because I really actually feel like bats have more potential in this arena yeah and it would be so cool to wrap yourself up in bat wings and hang upside down
4: yeah all right we're going to take a
1: quick break and when we come back more about surgical wings today's episode is brought to you by technically speaking an intel podcast when you think about the future what kind of technology do you envision whatever the future holds artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all
2: Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice
4: remote.
5: All right, and we're back.
4: So I'm kind of already imagining, uh, like, super rich individuals in the future uh, surrounding themselves with... uh, Beautiful men and women that they have uh, they have had surgically adapted into uh, winged creatures. So they're just kind of like they're not flying, but they're just walking around the dinner party. Like, with, well, they couldn't really hold a tray of drinks. I don't know what they're doing. I guess they're just walking around looking pretty and birdlike. Well, see,
5: and why not keep your own arms and then just do a separate wing structure too?
4: Yeah, well, that would just this is, that would be even. That would be higher hanging fruit, for sure.
5: <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to the flight issue because uh, it's not just the feathers and the ability to, to actually figure out in your dermis how to grow the feathers that you need or to genetically game your body into doing it. Um, it's also the wing loading ratio. Uh, we would need really, really large wings to support, say, a 170-pound body.
4: Yeah. And, you know- I mean, look at the size of of flying animals and the size of their wings. Look at the albatross. The albatross is a pretty large mm-hmm. creature and it, and uh, and kind of a clumsy uh, bird as well. You know, its flight is not the most graceful thing for this this creature. So its wing, but its wings have to be pretty big. And so you know, when you're looking at the at the wing ratio. Uh, in an organism, and you're looking at the possibility of creating wings on a human mm-hmm. from that human's existing flesh, sculpting their existing body into this. Cause again, you have a lump of clay and you're gonna sculpt that lump of clay into a vase. That vase better have equivalent mass to that lump of clay. That's mm-hmm. just the basic uh, limits of, of what you're working with. So if you're going to try and build wings big enough for the human, for a human to fly, there's not enough material to go around. I don't care how much, like, butt flesh and extra bones you have <laughs> you're not going to build proper flyable wings
5: now poor did say that for a 170 pound body you would need about 20 feet of wingspan yeah which you know then becomes sort of impractical especially if you're taking mass transit yeah and can you imagine trying to get on marta with those
4: i mean i guess um, you could get like donor flesh that would be about the only way you could really start looking at that but then you're having to like scrap i you could get you know flesh from a corpse i guess and and use that in the process. I mean I'm you know, it's not impossible, but well, it's certainly something to think about. You that you just you can't completely just reshape the existing form into the flying form. There are a lot of other considerations to make.
5: The blog, Human Enhancement and Biopolitics, takes on some of these issues. And in that blog, they're talking about uh, the the larger problem, which is muscle, because birds, bats, and pterosaurs have really large pec muscles. And they're so large that they actually take up about 30 to 35 percent of their body mass. So that would mean that humans would then... Have to grow these bionic pec muscles that somehow were, you know, maybe nanomaterials were used somehow lighter than actual muscles, in order to really power yourself. Um, So, again, that's an issue of actually trying to take flight because we're pretty undeveloped, underdeveloped in our chest areas, right? Uh, Because obviously we don't fly and we don't need those those muscles.
4: Yeah, I mean, you get into a situation where the 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 classic idea. Of just of, uh, sort of the the art idea of uh, of you know angels with wings on their backs that kind of thing, mm-hmm. it's it's just more complicated than that. You can't just you can't just add something of another species to this animal and, exp- and, it to, and expect it to be a seamless transition. There are a lot of complex questions that come with that. Well, if you're going to have those wings again, you're going to need the pecs to power them. Where are you going to put those? Um, because if you're, if you're doing the model where the wings are on the back, then where are the muscles right. <laughs> supporting the wings? Right, right. Uh, I mean, it's, it's sort of like in that article that we uh, discussed in the Centaur episode where we uh, had a German surgeon who was looking at the, at, at the Centaur as a mythological creature and mm-hmm. saying how would that actually work? And when you get down into the, the theoretic bio- theoretical biology of that, there are all these different complications you wouldn't even possibly think of. Of course, the thing
5: saying. I remember was, where do you put the penis?
4: Right. The front or back? The front I mean, you back. know,
5: in some ways it's the same thing with wings, although obviously there's no penis, but you have some of the same engineering problems. Um, of course, Poor did say that in microgravity, zero gravity, um, it could be helpful to have wings. Which, yeah, situations. which brings us
4: back to the werewolf principle and the yeah. idea that should, can, and can we adapt the human body to, to make it better suited to life? On say a long space flight to somewhere, uh, to life in orbit, to life on another world, uh, if it if if one ended up making the argument that yes, small wings would be highly effective in navigating this environment, then maybe that's something we have to consider.
5: Well, and again, go back to bats, right? Yeah. Because as we've discussed before in our podcasts uh, or episodes about bats. They are governed their their wing structure by a rogue finger gene. So if you look at the structure of a bat wing, mm-hmm. it's really uh, it's just a modified mammalian arm, and it's got these. Th- why well, you should call them fingers? I don't actually call them fingers. But if you think about their wings as sort of these fingers, like on the spokes of an umbrella, that's how they get the structure. Yeah. So why not tinker with our own genetics to game our um you know genes in the arm bud? That begin to produce the, the sort of hand that we have and have it spread out, and you can take flight much easier because, as we know with bats, they get their um, their lift
4: mm-hmm.
5: by uh, basically free falling yes. from an upside down position. And then catching the wind with their wings.
4: Yeah, not every flying creature obviously is a hummingbird capable of just amazing, right. quick, uh, spirited flight. You know, they can go from zero to a, to a hundred, can take off, uh, vertically without any, any problems. I mean, some of these larger animals, they have to fall off of something to achieve flight.
5: Yeah. Plus it would be kind of cool to take flight that way, I think. Yeah. Just free fall upside down. Um, of course now, poor in his, uh, his paper did say, look, this is just sort of not, well, he didn't say, hey, look, this is just an idea. But he did conclude by saying, despite advances in surgical techniques that could theoretically lead to the ability to construct wings from arms, it is evident that humans should remain human, staying oh. on the ground, pondering and studying the intricacies of flight, while letting birds be birds and angels be
4: angels. He, he had me to the end and let angels be angels. That Then he was just really crossing. <laughs> no, I, obviously, Rosen would strongly disagree with this man's. Uh, he would probably see um, see poor as as someone with a limited um, limited vision for humanity, whereas poor is is certainly staying more on the cautious realism uh, side of things.
5: Well, issue. poor also doesn't really address uh, genetic tinkering as well. He's just yeah. sort of saying, what, "What do we do right now with the materials that we have?" Um, so some of the some of his discussion is limited by that.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast.
0: work.
2: Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
5: But uh, there is this idea that is in the article, uh, Dr. Dedalius, and it is uh, an idea put forth by Mary Douglas. She wrote in her anthropological study Purity in Danger that human beings have a natural aversion to crossing categories and that when we do we transgress or when we do transgress it we see it as deeply dirty. Yeah. So that there's idea this idea of like well if this is not human it's separate from us there's a danger in it.
4: Yeah, which I think it comes back to the wing thing or even the centaur thing. It's one thing to have like oh the top is a is a topless lady and the bottom is a fish like that doesn't is maybe okay at least to a certain extent because there's this firm line there's a distinction between the part that is animal and the part that is human and when you get into you know we've talked before about monsters the idea of any kind of a monster is that it embodies an idea mm-hmm. especially the any kind of monster that is half human half beast it's ultimately about the competing higher and lower natures of our being the part of us that thinks that we're above and at being an animal and the part of us that is inevitably an animal and we, but we like seeing that division, even in our monstrous uh, imagined creations. But when there is crossover, more crossover than we anticipated, that's where we get in that polluted area. When you get into models of a centaur that has a penis in the front uh, and or in the back, when you get into examples of, oh, this person has wings, but it also means they have to have grotesque pectoral mor- muscles to power it, then the line becomes smudged, and uh, and we begin to go, little, a little
5: I was thinking about this in the context of biogerontology and, mm-hmm. and and our bearded friend Aubrey de Grey and and his quest to uh, tinker with people at a, at a cellular level in order to have them live upwards to 500 years, 1,000 years old. And I was thinking, well, how does that, how does all of this sort of jibe with post-humanism? Because... Surely that will be the thing to do when you reach 200 years old like you just get bored and you say why don't I go ahead and get those surgical wings I've always wanted. You know <laughs> what is what does that world look like um you know do we have this possibility of of uh you know very elderly people zooming around with their new wings with sort of angel faces faces to match.
4: Yeah. When I mean, you just com- ultimately you're t- you know talking about completely just casting aside any expectations about what a human is or should be on a physical level, and then to to draw from Rosen's uh, um, idea of plastic surgery, uh, it also means that the, there are no constraints on the soul, on who you are.
5: This is one of those things that I w- really wish I could flash floor, f- forward. This is one of those things that I really wish that I could flash forward with. 200 years from now and see if this is an antiquated conversation Mm -hmm. or if humans sort of, uh, you know, towed the line and and continue to be as human as we are now.
4: Yeah, I don't know. And then it comes down to the question when you're talking about the long-term survival of the human race, is it just something we're going to have to get over in order to achieve that? If we're going to eventually be a creature that that lives elsewhere in the the universe, um, are we going to have to, to get past our arguably limited idea of what we are.
5: Well, I think with the wings, though, it becomes an easy sell.
4: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there you go. Surgical wings and the people who make them, <laughs> dream about them. Uh, fascinating topic that, um, that uh, I've been meaning to to get to for a while. Uh, so let's uh, call the, the robot over here and uh, just do a little bit of uh, listener mail real quick. All right. This one comes to us from Peter. Peter's a regular listener, and uh, and also interacts with us on the Facebook account. Uh, he also is involved in a number of cool projects. He uh, uh, has the uh, King Deluxe record label uh, out of Canada, and uh, associated with that the uh, twenty nine ninety nine project, mm-hmm. which is really cool. It's about finding uh, musicians and finding artists and having them both create a an imaginative take on what the year twenty nine ninety nine might consist of. Uh,
5: Yeah, Peter's very much a part of the uh, stuff to blow your mind think tank.
4: Yeah. So Peter writes in and says, um, and he's responding to our multitasking uh, uh, edition, and he says... uh Ha, uh-huh. I was definitely doing other things while listening to your podcast. As usual, I pause one or the other when there's something I need to think about in details, but I agree for the most uh, for the most part that it's best if one can use full concentration. However, this has me thinking about harmony. I mean, being really focused on one task is actually a multitude of highly organized brain functions that harmonize to a beautiful degree. What I propose is that while doing separate tasks is counterproductive, sometimes they lift each other up, as with listening to uh Autech or while writing. Uh, which is an example I've used before, and uh, and I imagine Peter does uh, the same exact uh, combination. Uh, they now become the same task as long as they're not like both visual or something, as you guys mentioned. But I believe the reason I have become good at research is because I can multitask certain types of of differing activities, uh, and uh, the use and use one to inspire new lines of thought in the other. And I try to become better at refocusing more attention as required. That said, these were uh, good episodes to consider ways in which I'm not properly closing loops, wasting energy, and so so on. One other thing that I was wondering about, though, is if it's really that much easier to focus in the evenings. I can definitely see that in my own life. Uh, I do sometimes have less distractions in those hours. However, decision fatigue makes it uh, so my attention uh, to my single task is limited. In the mornings, I may have more to do, but if organized well, then I can do it at breakneck speed in comparison.
5: All right. Some interesting thoughts on complementary multitasking, I guess you could call it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's the... The ultimate uh, take home from from those episodes on multitasking is that it's not that we shouldn't do it or shouldn't try and shouldn't juggle tasks because we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. But the more we're aware of how we're doing it, the limits of doing it, then we can we can really plan our days and uh, and tackle our responsibilities in a more thoughtful manner.
5: Yeah, how to multitask the right way, I
4: suppose. Yeah. All right. Well we would love to hear from everyone if you have anything to add about multitasking that would be great but more importantly and centric to this episode let us know if you have thoughts on surgical wings what do you think about the about some of the mechanics of actually changing the human form to have wings and, and more importantly what do you think about the idea should we be limited to uh, the sort of store-bought uh, vision of humanity or should we be willing to tinker should we uh, Uh, have this do-it-yourself mentality should we ultimately adapt the human form to survive uh, beyond the planet and beyond the age of the homo sapien Uh, we'd love to hear from you you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter uh, and you can find us on Tumblr we're Stuff to Blow Your Mind on Tumblr and Facebook and we're Blow the Mind on Twitter
5: and you can always drop us a line at at com.
3: work. Zumo Play.